Those of you who know me know that I love C.S. Lewis, so I will start with him. He's a good place to start one's comments. In his tender autobiography, Surprised by Joy, C.S. Lewis describes the story of his journey to Christian faith, first of all, as a spiritual quest for an elusive experience of what he calls, and I will spoil the German because I, I cannot get this word right, but he calls it Zenzucht, German people's apologies, an intense longing, an unfulfilled desire which he called joy. He interprets the experiences of his childhood, his adolescence, and his early adulthood in two ways. On one level, he is first drawn away from the truth as he gains intellectual prowess and rigor and knowledge, becoming a practicing atheist. Later, he is led to accept by reason the possibility of the existence of God and finally to an encounter with a personal God. At the second, more poignant level, he experiences occasional pangs, he calls them, stabs of joy, which unbeknownst to him is contradicting his atheism. These stabs of joy and longing were often available to him in imaginative experiences and imaginative works. At one point he laments, nearly all that I loved I believed to be imaginary, what he called a sea of poetry and myth. One day he reads a book by the author George MacDonald with the wind of joy blowing through a story, and he declares that his imagination was baptized, a major contributing factor to his coming to faith. Now, I've been musing on this phrase, the baptized imagination, and perhaps adding to Lewis's intent, uh, he perceived a holiness in MacDonald's writing. He saw his beloved theme of joy. I'm also extending, as I'm thinking about it, what baptism means to us. His baptized imagination would involve acknowledging God's presence. It would, it would mean transformation. It would mean submission. It would mean testimony. So I'm trying to work with this phrase today, baptized imagination. We know that the imagination is one way we know the truth. Truth, including religious truth, is not solely the province of the reason or the intellect. The imagination is that part of the mind that imagines things, that forms mental images. As you sang the songs today, you were using your imagination when you said we're going to be on eagles like eagles wings you were using your imagination at that point these are mental images or concepts which are not which are not actually present to the senses we use words of course to aid in the process as annie dillard colorfully writes the mind the culture has two little tools grammar and lexicon in other words, your syntax that forms a sentence and your dictionary. And she calls them a decorated sand bucket and a matching shovel. With those, we bluster about the continents and do all of the world's work. With these, we try to save our very lives with our use of words.
Now, my life's work here has been in texts, in words that kindle the imagination. I've journeyed between heaven and hell and all the earth in between, in Dante and Milton. I've traveled the world to, to Africa, to India, Ceylon, South America. I've spent time roaming across Canada, roaming across the Americas. In that process, I have been asking the question to myself, what, where is truth? Where is wisdom? Where is God present? I find the new year is always a profound pause in our cluttered and distracted lives. Revelry aside, and haven't you wondered at the revelry? If you turn on a TV or watch the New Year celebrations, what is the source of our noisy celebration and frenetic partying? We consciously or unconsciously take measure of our lives. We reflect on what the past year has brought that gave us sadness or joy. What accomplishments we achieved or failed to achieve. And then we put the old records away. I'm betwixt and between my iPhone calendar and the old-fashioned date book. Uh, looking at the old-fashioned date book, I can look at fresh pages. And I look at them with a curious mixture of fear and hope. I began writing neatly and precisely, signaling good intentions. I wonder what the new year will bring. I was reading some devotional meditations by the theologian Karl Rahner, who stopped me cold with a very simple question when he asked, I do not, I wonder what the new year means for me. I do not mean for the world, for politics and the church. I mean for me, precisely for me. In his meditation, he's going on to describe that we're creatures made for eternity. What does this year mean for me to prepare me for eternity? So I ask that same question with you. If Dillard's description is true, that we use our sand, bu uh, uh, sand bucket and shovel of our words, and we take Lewis's experience as true, how could a baptized imagination help us as members of an academic community approach a new year? In the Chronicles of Narnia, Lewis understands the importance of stirring the child's imagination to see a world where an Aslan figure comes and goes, bringing his moments of transformation to receptive children and talking animals. So we read each story with a tug in our hearts that someone like Aslan, only infinitely greater and most important, infinitely real, inhabits and transforms our collective world with all its worry and tragic failure and our personal lives with their own measure of pain and difficulty. In her lovely poem, Prayer of Anticipation, the Canadian poet Margaret Avison 
speaks to Jesus as she is. You can imagine in, as you read the poem that she is opening her Bible for her morning devotional experience. And she calls <clears throat> Jesus interpreter. And then she says, and more, configure of the odd moments for me from the outset. We think through our lives, I think through my life personally, what are the odd moments where I recognize that Jesus has not only interpreted those moments, but he's also configured them. And she goes on to suggest, Jesus, you are as if strolling through the morning, saying those fierce or disarming words within the word. Don't you love that phrase? Jesus, you are as if strolling through the moment, through the morning. Our imagination has come alive with hope. My favorite Narnian character is Tyrion, the last king of Narnia. He is one who has to trust in an Aslan he has never seen. He has to be faithful in a world that he uh, in a world that feels very much like our own, in its potential for destruction. When he realizes that the end is coming, he says to his companions, nothing now remains for us seven but to go back to Stable Hill, proclaim the truth, and take the adventure that Aslan sends us. Now, more authoritative imagery than Lewis's children's books is found in the words of the prophet Isaiah. I'm always tempted to go to Isaiah 40. It's a place that I often start, especially at moments of fear and despair. And the rhetorical questions of challenge to an exiled Jewish community. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? Have you not known? Have you not heard? and all the words that follow in Isaiah 40. But a few chapters earlier, in Isaiah 35, we have a vision offered to a people who were on the verge of going into exile. In the context of judgment, the prophet looks forward to the return of the redeemed to Zion. We are not sure of the time sequence or exact detail of the event, but we catch the drift of sparkling hope, the story of transformation, of people made whole, of a safe highway for the journey home, of celebration. Listen again to some of the words. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad the desert shall rejoice and blossom. It's hard for us to picture this. We're thinking about snow right now. But like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. Very curious phrase in the translation that I've been using. The colorful metaphor implies even the land will sing. And I'm trying to imagine that. The environment shall be healed. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Then in the midst of that, it says, the prophet exclaims, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. There is a message for fearful students, don't you think? Here is your God. He will come and save you. 
Then he speaks of people made whole. Eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. And our minds flit to the New Testament. We hear an example of fulfillment in the words of our Lord. Remember John the Baptist in prison, doubting his ministry of pointing to Jesus? And Jesus tells John's friends to take a message back to him. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news brought to them. And our heart stirs within us. Back to the prophet, he continues, For water shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the holy way. A protected place, a safe place, where the redeemed shall walk. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Now, any of these phrases of the prophet's poem deserve our careful meditation and application. I ask these questions to each of you and to myself. Is this a year when the wilderness of your heart will be satisfied, will be glad? Is this a year where the desert of your life shall rejoice and bloom? Do we have the courage, do you have the courage to strengthen your weak hands and make firm your feeble knees? Can you claim, be strong, do not fear? Is the holy way the highway you choose to travel? Can sorrow and sighing flee away with the everlasting joy upon your head? Busy and focused students, faculty, and staff, pressed with many responsibilities and some with quiet burdens we, we know not of, we are sometimes, at least I am, we are sometimes gloomy realists. We live in a world where injustice and absurdity seem to rule in the geopolitical world, and failure and disappointment occur in our immediate context. Sometimes we hurt one another and fail to be the Christ light to each other. A baptized imagination can transform our perspective and bring hope and healing. The Old Testament scholar uh, Brueggemann has reminded us as he goes through Isaiah, we can reimagine a world where Christ is offering us the outlook to take the adventure he sends us.
Let me use a personal example. This year I have been struggling with health concerns. I was wondering if I could get through 20 minutes of talking up here because I didn't know if I could stand that long. And I've been going to different health professionals uh, trying to get help. And my naturopath said to me the other day, she said, you need to be more hopeful. She says, that is part of the healing process. And I said, why am I having to hear that from a person who does not know God? That is something that I should have been receiving from Christ himself, but I'm very grateful to her. I'm very grateful for her admonition to me to be more hopeful. And I have reframed it in the sense using uh, King Tyrion's words, take the adventure he sends you. And applying that to my efforts to walk better and to stand longer, and to resume hiking, that's my big dream, to be able to get back to doing what I was doing. And I think that's all part of a baptized imagination. Carl Rahner, the theologian again, reminds us, using the idea of the dating, A.D., Anno Domini, Latin, in the year of our Lord, he reminds us, that this, 2018, is the year of our Lord. And his banner stands over it. There's another image to inspire us. His banner stands over our year, my year, your year. And if his name shines above it, even its darkest hour will be an hour of the year of the Lord and his salvation.